Hi, my name is Martin Newman, Consumer Champion, and welcome to Consumer Focus, the podcast with our regulars, Dave and Layla. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. We've also got the wonderful Darren Talk, who we'll get to in the not too distant future, who is the CEO of an amazing brand called LK Bennett. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, you, Leila. Just tell me, how are you feeling about things at the moment? Things changed for you over the last month? Are you still feeling as cautious and, and slightly nervous about everything as you were previously? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question, actually, Martin, because I think um, when I think it's the, the kind of sustained impact of the um, public sector um, strikes that have been kind of go ongoing for the last couple of months um, and, you know, seemingly um, without resolution thus far, that is kind of making me slightly nervous um, around just the, the cost of living in general. Obviously, for many people in question, it's going, you know, it's going up so much so that they feel that they have to strike. Um, you know, and obviously then the, the standard of service gets poorer. Um, so, and I think that kind of psychologically, for me at least, it's kind of, it's having a, a bit of a detrimental, you know, impact on thinking, God, actually, I need to be careful with my money because, um, you know, what if this sort of, you know, spills over into other other sectors, you know, like I think um, inflation's going up so high, but salaries aren't um, increasing to match it. So you do think, you know, maybe I need to kind of hold on to my money a bit more. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. You're at the moment. Okay, thanks for that. Dave, what about yourself? How are you feeling about everything? Um, I'm thinking that I'm glad that I um, took on the um, New Year's resolutions that I did, even though I took them on several months early by adopting the lifestyle that I have. So the strikes have been awful. I almost didn't go on holiday in December, but the train still ran. Um, but I've been commuting, taking alternative routes. So, you know, I'm just thankful that I've got my bike and I can go about places. Um, as far as the high street goes, I think we had rugby the other day and it's still buzzing. There's still lots of people out and they're still necking points of Guinness. So I honestly couldn't tell you that I've got the most accurate barometer. I'd say people generally seem happy. And if they're not, then they're not expressing it as much as maybe they should do or feel confident to do. So certainly I know there was quite a few Scotsmen were very happy after the rugby. <laughs> hey. I thought I'd, thought I'd just get that one in there while I can. Not often we get the opportunity to, to bring that up, but there you go. So <clears throat> interesting. So you're more glass half full, or in this case, pint of Guinness half full by the sounds of it. You sound a bit more chipper, actually, than maybe the last time we spoke. Yeah, I think I think it's also the difference that, you know, look, it is February, which means we made it through January and the day's getting longer and the sunsets are getting more warm and romantic. And, you know, I think this will hopefully feed into just everyone's um, uh, demeanour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good point, actually. I was thinking that this morning when I was leaving the house quite early and I was thinking, crikey, it's nearly light. It's about half past six. You know, summer will be here before we know it. So I'm sure that will have a... Have a positive impact and Leila I mean are you generally I mean have you got any um, for example any travel plans for you know for this year or are you kind of holding off on that at the moment or? Um, I wouldn't say yeah I'm, I'm holding off just because I haven't really had time to plan anything but I think that um, I will still likely go ahead with things although I probably won't be quite as cavalier as I have in previous years because I know that the cost of um, flying is you know has kind of greatly increased over the last few months um, I'd say some some destinations are almost twice as much as they um, they were previously. So you do have to think. I'm actually looking at 
um, UK alternatives, um, you know, kind of quite seriously in terms of holidays that I'll be taking this right. spring and summer, for sure. Staycation then? Yeah, definitely. Although they're not the cheapest either, are they, right? Just, you know, depending no. upon where you go, obviously. Um, those can be quite expensive. And um, Dave, are you planning any, any trips this year? Are you waiting to see? I think I'm waiting to see. All I know is that my air miles have been piling up constantly. And I've invited a few more people to um, my British Airways Amex. So I've got even more excuses to um, splash out, but yet at the same time save. So yeah, um, if, if, if catalogs were still a thing, I don't know if they are, I'd definitely be thumbing through them right now. And um, would I stay, Kate? I think I would, you know, I think I'd do something close haul somewhere in europe that's just different culturally and i'd also try and get a uk staycation in as well okay good to know and just from a pricing prices perspective um i mean inflation is on the way down and depending upon you know who you read or what or what you read it could fall fairly quickly but i'm assuming you probably haven't noticed that yet have you in terms of that being passed on through cheaper prices, or have you noticed anything change at all recently, either of you? No, no, <laughs> I, I personally haven't. Um, I know that there um, are kind of small cost of living, um, you know, pay rises going on in the workplace. Um, although I kind of was party to a conversation, you know, where somebody was complaining that, um, you know, the percentage increase is nowhere near reflective of the actual, you know, real world inflation increase, which is potentially um, something that other kind of businesses are having to answer to their employees. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, Dickie, you haven't noticed anything specifically on, on that front? Um, well, luckily or not, depending on your perspective of getting on the property ladder, I don't have a mortgage, but what I have noticed is saving rates have gone up and I've managed to get a couple couple of those opened up at a, a good rate. I don't know if it'll stay good. And I think if anything goes up by 0.5%, it'll equal about 15 pounds at the end of the like one year term. But I've managed to lock myself in with a couple of those. So I'm pretty happy in that sense. But yeah, once again, I don't know if mathematically I'll actually be increasing in my small stream of wealth or in real terms, it'll actually be decreasing, just not as bad as it would have before. Yeah. Well, we'll come, we'll come back to that thank you for for sharing some of your thoughts anyway in relation to how you're feeling about things at the moment uh, it must be quite interesting for you darren as the ceo of a high street brand high street retailer listening to consumers and their their concerns not, not, none of this i don't think will be a surprise to you for sure um just to, to introduce you formally um i'm grateful for your time and for you coming on today you and i have known each other quite a long time and I have a lot of respect for you and, and, and what you do and just be interesting if you wouldn't mind telling um, the people watching and listening to this now uh, basically what your role is today and maybe a little bit about your background don't mind. Sure thank you Martin well I'm going to get you in all my interviews for new jobs in future you've so been so glowing about me but that, I appreciate that so thank you very much so um, as you can tell from the accent I'm from Manchester in the north of England um, and basically, I've spent my whole life in retail. So I didn't go to university. I went to straight to Marks and Spencer at 18 on their young management scheme, having spent some time at Tesco's and got the real retail bug. Spent 20 odd years at MS. And I went and worked for Arcade, the Arcadia Group with Philip Green at BHS and 
outfit and did 10 years there. And then I've spent the last um, four years at LK Bennett as a CEO there. So love retail, love everything about it. The most exciting jobs in the business anywhere. Um, so, you know, got the, got the real retail bug early, Martin, and really kept yeah. going, if you like. Yeah. And, it, and, and I knew a little about retail because my mum was a cleaner for Marks and Spencer. So, and she always used to come home with tales of um, how grand the manager's dining room was in his office. And I always remember as a teenager thinking, I could quite fancy that job. <laughs> Sadly, I don't think anyone has dining rooms or offices anymore. Do they? No, no. I, 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 I do recall working for a certain uh, corner, big corner shop uh, in the West End of London in Knightsbridge, um, and they, they had quite a nice dining room I'm at sure. one point in time. Yeah, I think the, day, the days of those have gone. I think that's all gone, and, and rightly so, but at the time, as a, as a sort of um, highly you know, influenced teenager. Yes. Um, I quite like the idea of this lifestyle that my mother had. I can imagine the lure of that, Darren. I can imagine the lure. Um, I want to talk to you a bit about culture. Um, I'm sure you're, you're, hopefully everyone everyone in the call will be aware of the the line, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. From the great strategist, Peter Drucker. I remember when I first heard that line, um, it did take me a little bit of time to kind of get my head around it and, and on what I thought or understand it, I guess, in a way that it made sense to me. Um, and so my my interpretation of that is that you can have, you know, you can have paid these big management consultancies a lot of money for a very, you know, what looks like a great piece of strategy on a bit of paper, but at the end of the day, the culture of the business you know, isn't effective. It's not worth the paper it's written on. And so the culture for me is everything in an organization. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not that close necessarily to, you know, what you're doing at LK Bennett these days, but yeah. my sense of you as a person is I would have thought you, you'd be the kind of person who'd always create a really good culture in the business. So just interestingly, do you do you kind of agree with that? And and I suppose how how do you go about tackling the culture and the businesses that you work in? Um, I completely agree with it, Martin. And and increasingly, it's because it's becoming more and more important. I mean, you and I, you know, when we started in retail thirty years ago, the culture was very different than it was today, and the kind of behaviours that we saw, witnessed, or experienced would would be completely unacceptable today. Yeah. Um, and and that's a good thing. I hasten to add, that's a really positive thing. And I think culture for me it stems. It starts with my background. You know, my dad was a lorry driver. My mother was a cleaner. Um, I didn't go to university. So part, you know, so. So I, you know, when I lead in an organization like LK Bennett, I'm very, very conscious of everybody who works there, not just the directors that report to me on a day to day basis. But if you're really going to get it right, you've got to get it right all the way through the organisation. And that starts with the guy answering the switchboard, the girl serving the customer at the front of the house. So, and to give you, and you can't, and it's it can't just be words, it's got to be action, some of this stuff. Yeah, so it's easy to say, isn't it? The most important people in my organisation are the ones in front of the customer. Yeah. Well, why... Why do they, why do they often why are they often the worst paid one two why do they often get the least benefits they're on the feet all day 
you know, the management are sat in their offices you know, on the back sides, me included, and I am one of these people. So, so, you know, so this year, for example, you know, we gave all our sales consultants a 10% salary increase. Mm. Now, it's a low base. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, you know, they're on £25 an hour. It's a lot more than minimum wage, and we pay them a um, uh, they get a um, commission as well on everything they sell. Mm-hmm. But we gave them ten percent. We gave all the management five percent, and the very senior management got nothing. Mm-hmm. Now, no one's going to lose sleep about me not getting a salary increase, Martin. I get that, mm-hmm. but it, but culturally, it's about this is about where are your priorities, and and we've got a limited amount of money to spend. Where should we spend it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and whether we like it or not, the cost of living, you know, I'm not affected by the cost of living crisis in the same way. Because, you know, I'm 55, I haven't got a mortgage and my children have left home. So, you know, I'm in that, you know, that stage of my career, which hopefully everybody will get to, you know, where you don't have a mortgage and you haven't got the responsibility of others. Where actually I've got quite a large disposable income, which means if when my electric bill does go up double, it, you know, I save less. Well, I'm clearly doing something wrong then because I've still got... I don't I'm, believe that. <laughs> I'm nearly two years older than you. I've still got a mortgage and my kids are still at home. <laughs> so, so I think... So, yeah. so these, but these are, you know, so... And you've got to... You, you know, I'm t- I suppose what I'm trying to say is that those of us that are leading these organisations have got to demonstrate, um, in my view, um, we've got to be very careful about how we pay and ration through the organization in a time at a time when we know a large number of people are struggling and they're not you know these people who are struggling are not just on those on nine pound fifty an hour i've got plenty of people earning 40 50 60,000 a year that are struggling i mean that you know let's let's be honest this isn't a, a certain section but those at the very top i think i've got a responsibility and a moral responsibility in my view to show some restraint yeah I think you, that's a point. Yeah. And, and another example would yeah. be, you know, I was in New York last week. Yeah. You know, most CEOs I would have thought would go business class. I would normally go business class. It was it was 5,000 each way to go business class. And it was 1,000 to go premium economy. So I went premium economy. Yeah. Now, that's not, a, you know, that's hardly a big sacrifice. I know I get that. But these are little things sure. that nobody in the organization would know that. But these little things all add up. People get a sense of this is an organisation that actually gives a shit. Yeah. I want yeah, to, and, you're, and you're leading by example, right? And, and I think so. Totally. You, you try to. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I really do believe that culture comes to the top at the end of the day. I believe that, the, you know, the person leading the business, I mean, it has to be top down and bottom up, but ultimately... It's, it's not going to work bottom up unless it's coming from the top. So for sure. I think you're, you're setting the tone for the rest of the organization by your behavior and by what you're doing around wages and not taking, you know, a wage increase and making sure people that need it most, you know, do get that. And by cutting your cloth accordingly and how you travel and everything else. And I think it's, I think it's hugely important. So thank you for sharing those examples. Just quickly back to, to Dave and Leila, I don't know about yourselves and the, the entities that you work for, but you know, the culture of the businesses that you uh, interact with as consumers, do you, is that something that you're aware of? You know, do you get a sense of it sometimes in terms of the experience that you have, work, you know, when you, when you engage with a business 
in whatever sector that happens to be, you know, whether you're buying fashion, whether you're traveling, whether you're in a restaurant or, or whatever. Leila, you look as if you've got a, something you'd like to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, um, you know, you're only likely to interact with frontline staff either at the point of sale or when you're complaining, you know, generally. Yeah. Um, and for the latter, what's most valuable to me is transparency. Um, so staff members having the autonomy to to own um, own it when something's gone wrong, um, because, you know, we all make mistakes, um, you know, when a customer is unhappy or complaining and just showing that openness to working with you to find a solution that you're happy with. So you can usually tell, um, you know, this is usually quite a good barometer of the culture um, because their, their response to you isn't kind of fear based or defensive, um, you know, but more kind of open to you know, admitting that something went wrong and, you know, making improvements to their way of doing things. Because I guess as a customer, you're, um, you know, you as a customer are kind of providing them with the most valuable data they can get, really. Um, you know, your behaviour and your reactions to how they operate. I think is, um, you know, shouldn't be kind of shouldn't be swept under the carpet or ignored. And you can tell the difference between a good culture because you've got people that are actually like, oh, OK, I'm going to listen to this. This is an interesting example. We're going to change the way we do things or somebody who tries to tell you that you're wrong. I think it's a great, a, a fantastic example. Um, yeah. example. And, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of the experience that I think we as consumers too often have where when we've got a problem, we're kind of made to feel as if they just want us to go away. It's, yeah. We're almost like an irritation rather than, to your point, something that the business can learn from. Dave, what about yourself? Have you had, uh, have you got any examples or anything you want to talk to there? I'm, I'm trying to compose my sentences to not be libelous. <laughs> um, so they may have to be chopped out. Let's see how I feel. Um, I think, um, well, I've worked where I've worked for 10 years, I think now, if you happen to follow me on LinkedIn, guys. But um, in that 10 years, I've got to know pretty much every member of staff at where I work. And um, we used to have a scheme that was called the buddy scheme, which would be to bring new staff members into the culture. So we all had to sort of randomly get volunteered as ambassadors for our company. But we work in the arts, which may have, it may evoke images of glasses of port and monocles falling out and, and, and pearl necklaces and such, you know, and hoity-toity, um, which I think there is, you know, the, the audience that we bring in may have a bit of a culture of that, even though it's a very diverse and changing audience. So when it comes to, when it came to doing the buddy scheme and having known the people and known the attitudes and known the audience and the public and the staff, I think my personal culture, if I was to give one, would be that I would always say, be friends with everyone including the person that works at the reception. This is the first person that you're going to see and they will always treat you really well. So that's my first interaction in the day and the first interaction in the day for a lot of people and always talk to the cafe staff who will always serve you with a smile and get you a good coffee. And apart from that, go to as many um, socials as possible and really get to know each other. I, th I think, Dave, what you are, I mean, to some extent, you were talking about something similar um, and something I would expect from Darren, you know, where... You, you get to know everyone in the business, right? And I think that social fabric, you know, in an organization, I think is really important as well. I mean, everybody goes to work for different reasons, right? But, you know, ultimately not everybody goes to work to socialize, but, but lots of people do. And particularly when, if you're in a, 
in your if you're in an organization with a lot of younger people, you know I think that element is important. But I'm sure Darren, you you probably know the names of everyone in the business and have some idea of you know yeah. you probably have some anecdote in your mind of you know the last time you spoke to them. I'd maybe know most, I'd know I'd certainly know most of them in the office. Yeah. yeah. I'd know quite a lot of them in the shops. Yeah. Um and I'm I so I meet so every month I have uh, um, a listening group, for want of a better word. So I meet a cross section of the business, um, not not senior management, but um, the more junior members of the team. Um, normally half shops, half the office, mm-hmm. uh, and I have a breakfast with them an hour and a half, and it's their opportunity to tell me what what they think I should be doing or what I'm doing wrong, and I should be doing better or what I need to be doing more of or what I need to be doing less of. Mm-hmm. I've got to tell you, there are, I, there's only me in there, so none of the senior management are in there. And like all these things, you know, people are, you know, a little wary, aren't they, to begin with? But yeah. once they get going, we get into some real interesting stuff. Yeah. And and a lot of the time, Martin, stuff that stuff that you think it's just so minor that you could resolve it like immediately. Yeah. And you think, why why is that not? find its way up the organization so and that's where i question myself because i'm thinking well if i can be in a room with a group of people and we can nail half a dozen things that could make their life better because frankly if we can get everyone working in the organization feeling brilliant about themselves and the organization then the customer will feel it and for it's, sure absolutely 100 yeah. percent, they'll feel it yeah. so and, and we all want to do that i don't think i've got any you know people in the organization that don't see the value of that but it doesn't always filter up and i do wonder um why why that happens and mm. you know i'm sort of constantly trying to find ways in which i can find out what's really going on in order that we can make the appropriate changes yeah i mean that sounds that sounds to me as if it's almost about and to some extent it's about empowerment where people feel you know, whether it's in a formal capacity yeah. or an informal capacity, but they feel empowered to, whether it's take action, the way that Leila was talking about earlier, when you go into a business and you know that the people that you're dealing with are actually empowered to make a decision yeah. for her rather than kind of making her feel that they don't really want to resolve her, her issue or her challenge because they see the opportunity to learn from it and obviously to build her lifetime value. Um but you know how does that work actually from a from a formal point of view? I mean, do people? I guess it's the old kind of asking for forgiveness rather than asking for for, for permission to some extent, isn't it? Where for sure people, people feel they can make a decision and don't always have to go up the chain of command. Is probably a degree for of sure. And, and you know, you you want to create a culture where you know if it delivers a if it's good for customers, good for staff, or good for sales, or good for um, or saves money, then. You know, don't ask. Let's just crack on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the basis that you know that they're, they're collect their objectives that we all share. Yeah. Um, and I and I think you know to a greater or lesser extent that I think that naturally happens. But it's interesting, and and also people don't sit down and reflect on it, do they? And when you go and you know see somebody like me and have a an hour and we have an hour and a half together, you start to reflect on it more because you know what it's like. You know. You have a scratch on a brand new car. You see it every day because it's your brand new car. After after a few weeks, you don't see the scratch, you know. So and this is the, and it's the same in any organisation, isn't it? 
when you get there, you see the problems. And after a bit, you just accept the problems as part of the way things happen, don't you? Yeah. I think maybe um, I was just thinking about how you measure people. I don't know whether this is something that you might want to think about if you're not doing it already. But, you know, measuring net promoter scores or customer yeah. satisfaction yeah. at the point of sale in the store yeah. as well as online for sure would be a would be a way to go and also i mean i was talking to somebody recently quite a big brand in the automotive industry and i was saying you know you measure net promoter score but wouldn't it be good if you this is in relation to their customer service function but i was saying wouldn't it be good if you were to measure it before and after so you capture how people feel when they come to you with a problem but then you capture how they feel afterwards once you've been able to resolve it then that'll give you a good barometer of for sure you know, the effectiveness of, of that as a function. I mean, and we do capture some of those touch points. Mm. I always wonder how effective some of this is, but we do capture some of those touch those touch points on sale, um, um, online and in store. But it was very interesting what Leia said about, you know, she would judge a company about how it deals when you've got a problem. And you know what? I do exactly the same, though I hadn't articulated it like that. I know I do that. I'd recently had a problem with BA and I, I can't tell you how cross I was about it to the point where I nearly, you know, I was in the place of, you know what, I'm not going to fly with them again. And I'm like, grow up, stop being silly about it. But it just made me so cross that it was just a simple thing that could have been resolved really quickly. Yeah. And you just think, and I, so it's, it has made me think, Lola, <laughs> to sense check my own world because um, it's interesting. I'd, customers do contact me direct. Because if you Google me online, you can. There is my uh, email address. Not I was encourage people to send it to me, but um, and people, customers do email me directly. Um, mm. And as you know, it's often not the problem; it's how they've been dealt with after. Yeah, they feel they've not been listened to, even if exactly, exactly. And of course, the problem with that is increasingly in this day and age when you feel like that as a consumer you end up going straight onto social media of course and you and tell never, everyone don't you yeah it's amazing uh, i find it astonishing how many businesses seem to be ambivalent almost to that and seem to be happy to accept a level of you know very visible criticism from customers because they've maybe got they've not got the right mindset in terms of in trying to resolve issues and are more focused on maybe the cost to serve rather than building customer lifetime value and therefore they're being measured by you know if um, productivity making yeah. things go yeah, away yeah. rather than resolving them it. properly yep yeah and, um, and that's a tricky one and, and um but getting it right is clearly very important well it's massively important i mean just on that note i mean how do you what, what, you know, what is your, I mean, your customer service team, when somebody phones them up, what are they, what are they actually being measured by? Are they being measured by resolution? Is that part of it or? Yeah, or, it is. And we measure that and we measure that post resolution. Um, and, um, and we, you know, we look at volume interactions and times to resolve and all the usual. I mean, and it's been quite interesting because in the last, three or four months because of the Royal Mail strikes, we've had a plethora of challenges. And, you know, we have had people, you know, ordering dresses for weddings and they've not arrived on time. You know, we've had some really horrible stuff because it's not just been Royal Mail that's struggled. The, all the other carriers have struggled. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you know, the customers don't care about the fact that it's the, whether it's the Royal Mail or the carrier. It's that it's it's my problem, isn't it? I mean, the deal was with me, not with Royal Mail. Yep. Or DPD or whoever it might be. Yeah. So we've we've been really tested on that, and we've had to, and as a consequence, you know, we've had to put additional resources and, and uh, you know, and we've been much more flexible in how we've approached some of it, um, mm-hmm. because it's not it, it's it's no one's fault, but it's definitely not the customer's fault. No, indeed not. And you're you're absolutely on the money. That's the challenge, isn't it? As a retailer, you know, you you. You have the contract with the customer. You sold them the goods. One hundred percent. Yeah. And that last that last mile experience. It's interesting. I talk about this a lot. I mean, that last mile experience is so important. And and obviously for some people, it it could have been the first touch point they've actually had physically with a brand. Yeah. Online, but the first physical interaction they have is with somebody from a courier. You know, bringing that wedding dress or wedding outfit or wedding dress, wedding outfit or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, to 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 the house, and of course, that's what they remember in terms of, you know, sure. how, how they feel about you as a business. For sure. And at this end of the market as well, Martin, I recognise that you know, five hundred pound for a dress and three hundred pound for a pair of shoes is a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the a lot of my customers are they're treating themselves. You know, this might be once in a lifetime purchase. The daughter's getting married. Mm-hmm. This might be once in a decade purchase. Yes, there for some they buy every month. But for a lot of people, these are, you know, and they want to feel amazing. You know, if you spend 500 quid on a dress, you want to feel like that interaction with that business is 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 amazing. And, you know, so it does come in a beautiful box and it's beautifully packaged. And But if you have got a problem, you equally, equally your expectation level, rightly, is very high. Yeah, indeed. Leila, any great experiences spring to mind in the last year or two? buying anything within a consumer sector that kind of really resonated with you and kind of makes you feel like you just want to go back there because, you know, they created that level of trust with you through the experience that was delivered. Anything particular? Um, Yeah, I think, I guess when I bought a sofa, oh no, a coffee table actually from um, Swoon Editions, which is largely online. Mm. Um, And that was quite a a big ticket item that I'd taken quite a long time to, um, you know, to to choose. And it was a lot of money to spend in one sitting. Um, You know, they, their kind of comms with me during, throughout the process was great. You know, the packaging was great. Everything arrived on time. And unfortunately it was a coffee table that had this kind of big, you know, glass panel in it. And um, when they, the two delivered, men put it down you know well firstly they they weren't they didn't just leave it at the door and expect me to drag it around myself you know they'd come in and ask me exactly where I wanted it to be put and you know they'd unpackaged it unfortunately the the glass was shattered into about a thousand pieces when they um when they took the packaging off and so and you know obviously like very disappointed but their their communications with me you know they took it back um their communications with me were kind of spot on and they you know put me in essentially said we're going to expedite getting a replacement to you because I know that it took you know, a few weeks for this to to arrive in the first place. And they were, I just remember the customer service being very positive. And rather than me having to chase them, there was an update waiting in my inbox, or there was a text message, or, um, you know, they were like, oh, well, this is my mistake. This is our mistake. So um, almost falling over themselves to to put it right. Um, even though I guess it was costing them money because they've now lost out on this coffee table and they had to send me a new one. But I just remember that the, there were lo- multiple touch points throughout that process. And I think for me, that's really valuable. So you're not left wondering what's happening. Yeah. 
That's great. And I'm sure, and I'm sure as a result, you wouldn't think twice about buying from them again yeah. Or, yeah. or advocating for them, if you like, to other people and, and telling others as, as you're doing now, you know, how great an experience that was. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I'm actually in the process of buying a, sorry, I'm actually in the process of um, choosing a new sofa, but I kind of took to the earlier points thinking, oh God, that's going to be, um, you know, should I hold on to my money um, as opposed to buying something which I think is a luxury at the moment. So, I guess yeah. that's a separate victim of the cost of living crisis, but yeah. Absolutely. Dave, any, any of your own anecdotes to share? I can only ever tell you the bad ones. Uh, everything else, I think my interactions have mostly been deliveries or most of the stuff that I bought, like bought a new camera. That's exciting, but you know, is the pinnacle of my excitement signing for it when the postman comes. I, I, it's the only time I'm ever asked for my autograph. <laughs> but if we're going to advocate for a local business, as I think um, is a good thing to do, um, I, I can actually name drop this business, which is the Brewery Markets in Twickenham on Church Street. Right. They know me so well as a regular, and I guess arguably as a friend, but they know my preference so well that when I come in and they stand up behind the bar, and they've got a smile on their face and they go into the cellar and they go, I've got this new IPA that I think you love. That's when I know that um, I'm well known. My, my preferences are remembered and, you know, I'm a regular face and it just increases like my enjoyment so much. So well, they, must, they, must, they must obviously do a good job of keeping a hold of their, of their staff then. If there's that level of consistency there, recognition, right? They're not churning people. And so they must be doing a good job of looking after them as well. Is that because it's an environment they really like working in, I guess, to some extent, and they're well-treated? Yeah, yeah. Um, they're all passionate as well. No one's just come in thinking I can have a go at that. Like people have gone around Munich and they've gone around Belgium and really put their passion into building up a business that's like this. So there's no, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No one's no one's faking anything. They they truly yeah. are the people to go to if you want a conversation about that and hold it for a long time and still be passionate, even though you've talked for half an hour by this point. So good to know. I'm gonna to have to get myself back to Twickenham again in the in the near future then to the sounds of it. Darren, um from your own experience, I mean, you know, just as a consumer, but obviously as somebody running a, a significant high street business i mean do you have you got examples where you've had you talked about a bad experience in the travel industry but any any particularly good ones where you've kind of gone in somewhere or you know whatever sector it is and you just thought that's brilliant and maybe you've taken some of that sort of motivation or idea back to your own business i've recently um i recently went into a company called bailey and sage on marlebone high street it's like a food retailer delicatessen Apparently, mm -hmm. I've, I subsequently had a look. I'd never heard of them, and there's 10 of them in and around London. I've got to tell you, I just thought it was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the visual merchandising, touching all the senses. There were, there, was, there were staff around who, they sort of, you knew they were there, but, and I, had, I did have a question, actually, as a, you know, um, I've got a, I lived down there in the a couple of nights in the week, so I was looking for supper, um, and they were very, you know, very knowledgeable. But that I've got to tell you, that shop and it is expensive. This shop's expensive, um, but it was one of those where you know you walk out and you think, you know, I paid X, and actually it was worth every penny. Yeah. Just the whole experience, 
Um, and it just reminded me about the pleasure that is going round a shop mm. that you don't get going round a website. Yeah. Well, you just least, don't get it. Yeah, at least not until not the meta, yet. <laughs> not until the metaverse takes off in in a in a more. You just don't get it yet. That that yeah. those all those sensories being touched and yeah. the inter human interaction. Um, you know, just the smells, the taste, the everything. It was just, and it it did remind me that actually, that was all about theatre. Yeah, absolutely. Because the reality was. The pasta I bought was very nice, but it was no better than Marks and Spencer, but it was twice the money. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, but it was a reminder to me that I know at LK Bennett we can look a bit stiff, a bit sharp, a bit, a little less welcoming than we should sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for a lot of people, they're put off anyway because, of, you know, you go to a store where you can't actually buy it off, a, off the shelf or off a hanger. You have, you have got to be served to be, you know, to purchase anything. Mm. Um, and I know people feel intimidated by that environment. Um, and it was just a reminder to me. And I went back to the team and said, you know, they're charging twice as much as everyone else. We're char charging twice as much as everyone else on the high street. Everyone wants to go into that shop and doesn't feel intimidated by it. How do we make sure that they come into our shop and don't feel intimidated? Mm. So is that watch the space? Yeah, very much so because it then made me think about how we do how we do some stuff. Yeah. You know, how we lay it out, how we make it feel. Um, you know, it's always a delicate balance when you're in a served environment. Yeah. I mean, I've spent my life in, you know, help yourself. And if you can find a member of staff, good luck to you. You know, um, yeah. where in the, uh, LK Bennett, you can only buy if with a member of staff. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, if I look at the high street right now, I would say the majority of retailers have got the opposite problem, which is there's not enough people anymore. Correct, on the yeah. floor. And I witness it. You know, I do quite a lot of mystery shopping and I go into yeah. some, I won't name the brands right now, but I go into some pretty big and some pretty successful, you know, currently and have been for a long time, you know, high street brands that kind of seem to do well year after year after year. And you walk in there and I've walked out of, stores that have been you know 10 20 000 square feet and have been in there for 20 minutes and i've walked out without finding a member of staff yeah. me. and i've interviewed consumers and i've said how long were you in that store today oh i was in there for half an hour and did you buy anything nope no why didn't you buy anything well i couldn't find it literally i couldn't find, I couldn't find anyone to ask I couldn't find anyone to, to ask when i had it when i had a question yeah. and, I, and i and i did have a question i said well where are you going now oh, well, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? And they're certainly not automatically making a decision to then, you know, engage with that particular brand online or anything. You know, they'll go and find an alternative. So I do I do think it's a bit of a false economy often when retailers take a take a knife to the headcount in the store and say, we don't need 10 people on our shop floor anymore. We only need four or five or however many. I think there's a lot of people not converting, walking out, you know, every hour. Leila, I can For see sure. you're, you're agreeing violently. Is this a... An experience you've had yourself? Um, yeah, well, I think, um, I mean, shoe shops are a prime example of this. You know, if you go into um, any sort of shoe shop or trainers or anything like that, they um, there's never enough staff to help you try something on. And usually, you know, the shop environment is not pleasant. You know, it's hot. There's loads of people around. You've got bags. And it's, um, you know, and on top of that, not having somebody who kind of 
you know will approach you having to sort of wait and find someone and then I just think sometimes I'm like you know what I'm, I'm just going to go next door to the different to, you know to the next one unless I'm like really invested in a particular pair of shoes but you know generally you're just browsing so um I find you know definitely to your point around investing in additional headcount on the shop floor I think it's important that um you know during kind of times of peak demand you have got those people there to kind of catch customers um as they come in because I'm sure there's data isn't there on um you know how busy stores get at different times and things well that's the thing but you know I'm pretty convinced that the majority of retailers on the high street are not actually really doing the maths and correlating how many people are walking out every day and lost demand the way you would do on a website where you would look at each stage of the customer yeah, journey yeah. with would, yeah. Google Analytics and you'd work out where are people yeah, yeah. abandoning why are they abandoning ah there's a point of friction there we haven't got the right payment option or we've not got the right delivery option or we didn't have enough availability of the product or whatever it is and you resolve it and yet my instinct is from my own experiences and the consumers that I talk to I'm not sure we're doing the same thing in the physical environment and actually working out how many people are leaving literally every hour of every day, not buying something when they would have done had there been someone there to serve. I get the sense that's a sense sure. that you would agree with, Darren. For, for sure. And I think, Martin, what would be really interesting would be for one of these big players to get hold of this and you know really invest in yeah. putting people on the shop floor. because. Because at the moment, nobody does it well. Let's be honest. I mean, and whether you're in John Lewis or Marks and Spencer or Fraser's or any of those, you know, Battle, any of them. And they're, you know, they're all, you know, they've all got really, you know, they're all good retailers in their own right. But for someone to really make a step change and position themselves at a different point in the market, I think invest now, they might have to put some prices up. They might have to look at other where the cost costs need to fall elsewhere but you know what people generally don't make a decision on a on a garment based on a, a couple of quid or on a brand based on a couple of quid that yeah. that's not the decision maker but i think because everybody's so bad i think you know you, you almost shrug your shoulders as if to say well you know it is what it is because next door's as bad as this yeah. you know they're all they're all they're all similar and the similar experience isn't a brilliant one. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I do think I do think it's a fantastic opportunity for anyone that for wants to, to really step up and, and prove that they're a business that puts their customers at the heart of all they do and their people and creates an environment that is appropriately staffed and with the level of service that, you know, consumers are looking for. And, and again, it's never been more important. It's interesting, actually, because we've obviously gone through this kind of phase over the last couple of years or a few years where online was growing at Billio. We went into the pandemic, you know, it went through the roof. Everybody talked about 10 years of digital transformation in a few months. And yeah, there probably there probably was that, but it was short-lived in the context that as soon as, as I predicted, as soon as everything opens up, we've all, we're all going, we're looking for that, that experience you're talking about. Really in Sage, you know, where you can go back into physical retail and, and enjoy that retail theatre and enjoy that experience because you're not a prisoner in your own home, right? And you're allowed to get out and live your life again. So we're all over-indexing there now. And it, and I know it's difficult because as retailers, we have to make decisions, right, based on what's happening to some extent at that at that moment in time. But I, I really do. My instinct is I think it's a great opportunity for, for certain brands, certainly, to, 
to go the other way and actually prove to people that they're there for them and, and have the right number of people there to serve and to help and to make for sure. sure people don't walk out empty handed, you know, which is what retail is meant to be about. Um, listen, I'm very, very grateful uh, to all of you again for your for your feedback. Thank you, uh, Dave and Leila, for sharing your anecdotes with us. As always, it's always great to hear from the horse's mouth as consumers what's going on and how you're feeling about everything. Um, <clears throat> my, my, my instinct is things are going to get better. I know I said this the last time, but I feel that the second half of this year is going to be better. And I think that inflation's on the way down. Interest rates have peaked and will probably start to come down you know, as of the second half of this year, um, hopefully we'll see through inflation moving the right way eventually, um, costs moving in the right direction as well, um, and consumer confidence starting to come back bit by bit. And to your point, Dave, as the weather changes, that puts a bit of a spring in everybody's step as well. And hopefully that feel-good factor will come through uh, in, in consumer behaviour and consumer spending over over the rest of this year, we shall see. Darren, thank you so much for sharing your... No, thank you, and thank you. Nice to meet everybody as well. Thank you, Lola and Dave. You too. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and telling us a bit more about your background, a bit about LK Bennett, and just being the the very open and candid and honest human being that you are. I'm, I'm honoured to have you, privileged to have you on. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, we'll thank you, Martin. To, we'll look forward to this coming out shortly so thanks everybody for joining and look forward to seeing you the next time on our consumer focus podcast